Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Maggie Craddock, founder of Workplace Relationships, a former Lipper Award-winning portfolio manager on Wall Street, and author. Maggie's newest book, Lifeboat, Navigating Unexpected Career Change and Disruption, is such practical wisdom for the unusual life we are living at this time. Maggie Craddock, good morning. It is really so wonderful to have you join us this morning. Thank you, Kate. I'm delighted to be here. And you come to us armed with such great wisdom, support, encouragement, and, uh, well, you know, this is going to really sound almost corny, but you come to us with a lifeboat, per se, but that (laughs) happens to also be the title of your book. So how is that for, what, coincidence? Not really, but... But this is really such a lot of great, important information, which really, because of the way writing of books go, the fact that it comes out now when we really can use this wasn't necessarily your intent when you started out on that journey. No, you know, it's been a fascinating story of extraordinary timing, Kate, because, you know, I'm noticing myself, the deeper we get into this, that, you know, the same questions that impacted people at a human level when they were Titanic survivors are some of the same questions we're facing today. Questions like, you know, how long will this last? How bad will it get? You know, how how will it change me? And, and most important, you know, who can I trust to help me survive? And it's really been fascinating timing. So the timing definitely is good. And yes, we are going through all of that. Here we are, you know, past four months already going into month five, never having imagined that we could be living in this kind of a reality. Well, that that's absolutely right. And I think what this has done and what this book is focused on in terms of how people are dealing with, you know, change at all levels in their lives, but particularly their careers is... When we look at the emotional, at the very human dimension of some of these timeless questions, we go straight to the heart of doing things like, you know, preventing people from jumping ship too quickly and leaving a promising job before they've sort of done their internal work, which we learn from these Titanic survivors, because if they don't do that internal work, they'll create the same troubling emotional dynamics at another job, or also helping them get through that despair where sometimes when they feel like they have to make this a career transition or their, their job track has stopped, they find themselves paralyzed. You know, this book really goes to how you open up that creativity under pressure and you address some daunting challenges from a very solution-oriented perspective. And there's the beauty in it, having the solutions, because maybe we've learned to navigate a little, but then again, it's all so new and it keeps changing and the timing keeps going on. So I think there's this really tough new reality that's beginning to settle in. And we're seeing in many cases that this is going to be ongoing um, through the end of the year, maybe even to next year. So right now is the time to find some of these solutions that are going to help to bolster us and, and help navigate going forward, correct? Well, absolutely. Because, you know, one thing that we're all seeing at every facet of our lives and careers, whether we're managing stress within our family system or we're managing, you know, really challenging dynamics on the job, 
I think we're realizing some of the same things that really opened up the hearts and minds of these uh, survivors on these tiny lifeboats in the Atlantic and helped them beat the odds. And that's that the skills we need to operate when it's business as usual, the strengths we're used to drawing from, right, aren't necessarily the same strengths we need to tap into to grapple with this extraordinary level of change and disruption that we're facing on all levels of our lives today, Kate, from, you know, COVID-19 to political disruption to you name it. And it, it, it really goes to the basics of how we navigate our lives and careers at the most fundamental level. I mean, it goes to how we think, right? Under normal circumstances, we like to think we're objective and logical, but under extreme pressure, as we learn from these Titanic survivors, Sometimes we're prone to polarized thinking. Sometimes we're prone to snap judgment, right? You know, it's good or it's bad. You're for me or against me. And even when we look at how our feelings, our emotions tap into this and this interplay of our thoughts and feelings, under normal circumstances or, you know, on a, on a basically balanced day, most of us can take a little bit of stress in stride, you know, keep the game face on, suppress our frustrations, but under extreme pressure, sometimes these things tap into emotional memories. In the book, I call it, you know, the inner iceberg. You've got what you can see of a problem on the top, and then you've got this whole mass of feelings underneath that just gets tapped into under pressure. And before you know it, there are these extreme reactions taking place where people will call me up and say, Maggie, I can't believe what I did on the job today. That wasn't me. I had my big shot to speak truth to power. And when it came around to me at the table, you know, there was no voice. I couldn't even get my thoughts straight. Or people who call me and say, I just, just lost it under pressure and blew up in a way that just doesn't even seem like my authentic self, what's going on. And it's that we really need to be mindful of being prepared about how operating under extraordinary pressure impacts people. And that's the human dimension of how people learn new skills to deal with this level of frustration in their lives and careers by studying how these things unfolded with these Titanic survivors. And this would be a good time to look at the that whole metaphor that you're using of the Titanic. I think that you're using it and your experience with it is is such a great story and really gives uh, added foundation to this. Well, thank you, Kate. You know, one of the main things we want people to think about is the difference that I talk about in the book between what I call the big ship mindset and the lifeboat mindset. So I'd say first to your listeners, when I talk about the big ship mindset, I'd, I'd love for you to bear in mind that this is not about the size of an organization or the headcount of the firm that you may be working for today, because there's some large multinational corporations around the world today where senior leadership is really striving to embrace the, the, the lifeboat perspective. What it is, is it's about a mindset rooted in old norms, Right. It's a mindset that's focused on what has worked in the past. As I mentioned, some of these skills have to shift. And when we look at the story of the Titanic, what really puts this mindset into perspective is that what took that ship down started long before it saw an iceberg, right? Mm -hmm. What took that ship down was a mindset that led the people who built it, the people who inspected it, the people who took off on it to minimize warnings, to minimize red flags, to say, oh, yes, it can never happen to us, Right. And so they're hurtling through the icy waters of the Atlantic faster than they needed to without enough lifeboats. 
And there was this sort of set of norms that was implicitly driving people in the story at that point. Part of it was just remember your role and play your part. Some of it is just stay busy, just keep playing that part. I think we can identify with a lot of that in terms of how people deal with pressure on the job today, right? Right. And sometimes faster is better, you know? And, of course, I think we all realize that if you're moving too quickly to pay attention to the needs of your customers, your coworkers, sometimes even your family members when you're working from home, you're, you're, you're moving a little too fast. And what the shift to the lifeboat mindset helps people embrace is they, they can get a whole felt sense, not just an idea, but a full body sense of what it might have been like to be on this giant ship that was heralded as, as unsinkable in the press before it took off. Of course, we learned it wasn't the case. And now they're huddled in these tiny lifeboats with people they've never met before, fighting for their lives against the elements in the waters of the Atlantic Ocean. Now, that's the part of the story I really love to focus on in the book, because most of the movies focus on the story of the Titanic. And, of course, it, it going under was fairly dramatic. But just imagine what it's like to be in the middle of the waters of the Atlantic on a tiny wooden watercraft surrounded by people wondering if you're going to live, right? It's a stressful thing to think about. And in that moment, you have more questions than answers. And that's where the parallel is to what we're facing today in our lives and in our work. We often have more questions than answers as we wonder how this new normal will unfold. And the norms that come from that, that can keep us moving in a productive direction are first, stay in the moment, right? Be in the moment at a human level. Notice what's happening with your feelings and your thoughts and notice what's going on with other people as well at a very human level. And then learn to take what I talk about in the book as these strategic pauses, which is very different from suppressing your feelings, which is what we do when we're coming from those old norms, you know, just keep the game face on. Taking strategic pauses means giving yourself a break and acknowledging at a human level, you know, I do feel vulnerable. I do feel anxious. Maybe I feel resentful, whatever those things are. Tapping into it clearly and facing it, but not letting the feelings capsize you, right? Mm -hmm. So that you don't end up acting out in unexpected ways, either in an inopportune moment on the job or maybe even with your family when you've suppressed all those feelings through the workday. And then finally, and this is most important for people who are striving to navigate this situation successfully, learn the skills of aligning your thoughts your feelings, really facing them, and your intentions in the present moment, and focus on the next positive small step you can take. Not the grand plan, the next positive incremental row of the oar. If you keep doing that, you will align your efforts in such a way that not only will you navigate this crisis successfully, you'll set yourself up to be in the flow of positive opportunities as this crisis abates. And I feel what you give us uh, with this experience, with this metaphor, Maggie, is that if this feels a little uh, just uncertain how to navigate that environment that we're in, using the metaphor and imagining that we are in a in that lifeboat, how would we do these things, Act the, ask these questions, doesn't that help us somehow to shift it and then apply the answers to our situation right now. 
Oh, I think that's such a great point, Kate, because, you know, one of the reasons that I think that it's so important for us to use these metaphors is that stories help us take a step back from all that adrenaline that floods our consciousness when we're just just right in the middle of what we have to do with endless deadlines and endless demands. We get to take that step back. And I think the greatest moments, the greatest aha moments that people experience aren't just about their thought process alone. It's about when they gain some objectivity about how the interplay of their thoughts and those root gut emotional instincts about what we're attracted to, what makes us more open-minded, and what causes us to be more defensive and a little closed-minded, how that whole thing works together and the interplay of it, particularly under pressure. So when you take a, a look at a story like this, it's not just your perspective as a, as a reader or a lover of history or even a lover of old movies around the story. It's really grasping that felt sense of what those people went through and understanding if they did it, we can do it, right? Because in the story of the Titanic, we compare all these different power styles of people and how they were operating on the Titanic as it took off and how those power styles morphed under pressure, and it impacted their relationships with themselves, the way they interacted effectively and ineffectively with each other on the big ship and on the lifeboat, and really how it impacted the overall situation. And what we, come, what we learn from this, as we compare this to case studies I have in the book, about how people who are in subordinate positions align their thoughts and feelings and speak truth to power in a way that doesn't make them a target, in a way that actually makes them respectful and turns on the pilot light of hope for other people, the way that people learn to negotiate conflict in a way that fortifies their personal integrity rather than diminishing it, teaches some valuable lessons. And one of the biggest ones we can learn right now is when you're looking for a place to thrive, Kate, look for a place that reinforces your core values. That group energy of your workplace is so important. You're not just bringing home a paycheck. You're bringing home a set of values and norms and an emotional energy that impacts your self-esteem, your sense of humor, your perspective under pressure that will impact your key relationships, every facet of your life at some point, even your physical health. And now may not necessarily seem like the time that we make a career change because we really feel like we're hanging on to that lifeboat. But it, it causes us to, to do some deep soul searching, really, in going forward. And the thing that uh, really underscores it so strongly, I feel, is that was your personal story, too. Realizing what your inner values are what they were at that time, yep. what they are, and making a change from what was like people would look at as this ideal kind of career, but it didn't align, align with your own values. Well, you know, I appreciate you bringing up my personal history, uh, Kate, because it, it, I think it's helpful for readers to know that I don't just write this stuff. I do my best to live it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put my clients on a hot seat I hadn't been on myself. And I will say that in my personal case, um, I had the luxury of making my career transition at what many people would consider the height of my career, right? So when people, I, I think this is written about in, in Lifeboat, I know I went into it in depth in my first book, The Authentic Career, but 
that was a transition that I made when we had won, you know, a couple of Lipper Awards for being the top uh, performing uh, mutual fund in the nation in its class. And that was my first career in portfolio management. And I wasn't just proud of what we'd accomplished. I was proud of how we did it because that team didn't just know what good looked like. That team understood what good felt like. Heck, Kate, we've had reunions, you know. So when people talk about, you know, dysfunctional teams, we actually had the exception, and that's not all me. I was an early adapter to hiring consultants, specialists in communication, anyone we could get to make sure that we had the tools we needed to communicate under pressure, because on a trading floor, that's so important. You're not just sharing words. You have to be able to look at someone's facial expression or body language under pressure when they're on the phone and realize whether or not you're going to have to pick something up and work on a deal from another end. It moves just that quickly. And our team was absolutely seamless at that. But I also remember that we were hiring a lot of consultants that, that came to us with some really good intellectual ideas, some really good behavioral recommendations, but they didn't always have the felt sense, that full felt sense of what it was like to be in our shoes under that kind of adrenaline. And that's when I found myself going to an awful lot of private retreats on the weekend, meditation retreats, you know, just long, long opportunities to sit and journal. And that was when I realized that um, I could afford to make a transition. I, you know, I'd saved. I was single at the time. And, and so my, my, uh, my needs were modest, and I was just banking my own assets away and investing them in my future. And I decided to go back and get that additional education I needed. I budgeted for it to get yet another degree, you know, in, in, in social work and to then go through the whole institute at Ackerman uh, to become a certified family therapist and understand the group dynamics of this thing and how we recreate those early family dynamics and what we set up ourselves for in the workplace sometimes, right? Right. So I did all that work. And I think it's very important for listeners to understand that first, and I alluded to this in the beginning, the most expensive thing I ever see people do is leave a promising career prematurely before they've done their inner work. Some of this lifeboat work we talk about with the inner iceberg. Because people will hit a sticky situation on the job. Um, they're not setting boundaries with their team. They have a boss that's demanding. They have a peer that seems dysfunctional. And if they don't embrace the lesson at the heart of that challenge and learn to really shift their own perspective on how they deal with emotional stress, they're prone to create a narrative that casts themselves at the, as the victim, justify walking away prematurely. And, of course, in this environment, getting another job can be tricky. But even if you do that, if you haven't embraced the lesson, you're going to recreate the same emotional dynamic in another organization. The other thing is budget to really invest in your transitive skills. Look at a situation like this under pressure and think, gosh, if this isn't working out in this role at this firm, what else can I do? In my own case, I realized that I was pretty good in managing assets and managing teams. But what I was really drawn to was not just helping people make more profitable portfolios. I wanted to help them build more profitable lives. Right. And I think the, uh, let's say it's a good challenge that we have here is that we, 
we have that opportunity simultaneously. We have in a way more time because we're perhaps working remotely to do some of that extra work and and become more of the person we want to be. Maybe if we show up differently too, we might be an instrument of change in our workplace. Oh, oh, absolutely. And I, I think one of the ways your listeners can, can consider really um, using the lifeboat process to help them make some really important changes at this challenging time is the fact that many of us are working remotely, okay? And when we're working remotely, particularly working from home, it can feel a lot like being on those lifeboats, right? A lot like, you know, what's the felt sense of what I'm going through in terms of pressure, in terms of, you know, having really very little time to process things without being right in front of other people, right? You know, our workplace stress is playing out in front of our kids. And, of course, you can't set – it's hard to just set boundaries because we're sort of on 24-7, kind of like people felt like they were on those lifeboats. And it's really important for managers – leaders to understand that we're always responsible for creating an environment where the hardworking people that we're investing in can motivate themselves. We can't be there all the time. There's got to be an element of self-motivation there. But we're also in an environment where all these different stressors, we're concerned about the health of our parents, we're concerned about the health of our children, we're concerned about our own ability to maintain or strike a sense of balance in the midst of all of this. So it's not unusual on a tough day for people to not bring out the best in each other or have misunderstandings in terms of how they're communicating remotely. I can't tell you the number of times that someone will call me up and go, Maggie, listen to this. It's like a three-word email from somebody. I know that. How do I interpret it? Is it business as usual? Is it terse? Are they mad at me? You know, people are trying to put these, these words that we see when we're in front of screens all day into a fuller emotional context because they're not present to observe each other anymore, right? Right. So as managers and leaders, we we really need to do everything we can to stay vigilant about the information flow with people. But we also need to mentor people in a way that we create a tone that not only encourages our, our coworkers to give each other the benefit of the doubt under pressure, but encourages them to give themselves a break and operate with emotional honesty. So, you know, when you're mentoring someone, the object isn't to get them to listen to you right now when they're working remotely. The object is to get them to listen to themselves because they're going to need to stay motivated under extraordinary circumstances. So you want to listen to things without giving unsolicited advice. You want to listen to things and ask people, you know, are you sure you're being fair about how you're assessing this person? Are you sure that you're really being objective or are there any feelings that you're experiencing that you might be suppressing? Are you being clear with yourself about your own motives? Because when people are managing and working remotely and they experience a lot of frustration, sometimes they project this narrative onto other people when they're really upset with themselves. They're really upset with themselves around the pattern of not being able to set boundaries or not being able to operate with more emotional agility in a stressful situation. And that's why the challenges that we're going through right now are such important teaching moments for all of us as we get through this pandemic and we get ourselves prepared to how we're going to operate as the situation abates. That is such 
important, very fundamental inspiration for us. Really great words to, I think, build build on and, and build who we are. And it comes from um, really more of a sense of understanding ourselves that, that is so critical, finding all those inner icebergs, but then being able to apply it, as you say, to to the greater whole and really see how we are in this together, how we're in that lifeboat together. Well, a- absolutely, because, you know, the, the, the big uh, thing that I tell people all the time that I think this moment brings to us, and this is where the timing of when Lifeboat came out is truly extraordinary, Kate, is um, I tell people that it's important to make a shift from what I call the self-help mindset to the us-help mindset, right? And I really understand the self-help mindset. We've all been there. As a matter of fact, a lot of my favorite books are written from the vantage point of the self-help mindset. I'll, I'll date myself here, but I remember a book that I read when I was young called I'm Okay, You're Okay, right? Yes. <laughs> it was one of the very first self-help books. And the self-help perspective is interesting because it, it helps us focus on our individual evolution. But under pressure, we have to be mindful that we're not primarily focused on our individual security or rationalizing our emotional vantage point on a problem. Because what we get when we shift to the us-help mindset, and, and, and right now the global nature of this pandemic is really an invitation to do this, right? Right. Is we glimpse the fact that it's vital when going through this period to balance our individual needs and the way we deploy our strengths with what's going to be most useful for the greater good of others. We need to balance those things right now more than ever. And and the argument for diversity that emerges from this in a, in a fairly elegant way is simply the fact that even if you want to look at why people follow you as a leader, it really depends. It depends on their background, their emotional vantage point, right? It's different things for different people. For people out there working in organizations and you want to understand what makes people feel like they belong or what creates that tone of unity that we talk about in the book so much, it depends. And that's why that lifeboat mindset of being in the present moment and and noticing the human nuances is so important because you want that agility to bear in mind that you have a central message that you're trying to convey. But it's not just about how you're coming across. It's about how other people feel about themselves in your presence, and that can depend. So some people feel a sense of rapport and a sense of belonging with a leader or with an organization because they feel cared about or nurtured or there's a personal connection there. Other people feel that it's because the person is strategic and thoughtful. And, and decisive in taking action. It depends on their personal background, their living circumstances a lot. But what we always want to remember, particularly with all the different needs and all the diverse points of view that we're dealing with in the world right now, is that you want that sense of agility that naturally emerges from this lifeboat mindset so that you can bear in mind that not all people are dealing with things the same way. And if we go back to these challenges that help people get through a challenging interpersonal dynamic on the job, understand that if something rubs you the wrong way, 
in terms of how your superior responds or what's going on with your colleagues on a team. They just may be coming from what I call a very different power style or a very different perspective on the situation. And if you consider the same problem from their vantage point, it's going to set you up to negotiate for a positive solution, as I say, in a way that fortifies your personal integrity rather than diminishing it. This is all so incredibly valuable. In fact, it's invaluable. And I, I trust that we've kind of encapsulated some of the ideas and inspired <laughs> inspired all of us to have our own copy of Lifeboat, Navigating Unexpected Career Change and Disruption. There's that key word, disruption. Uh, <laughs> so the the book is, is very new, but very, very important, as I hope we can all hear. And also your website, Maggie. Let's mention that because there's continuing information. And, in, you know, I think the, the vignettes, the, the mini clips that you share with us really inspire as well. Oh, thank you so much, Kate. My website is Workplace Relationships, all one word, plural, Dot com. And uh, I'm also out there on social media, uh, Maggie Craddock at LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook, and at Maggie Craddock on Twitter. So perfect. You are just, uh, you know, a, what shall I say, a breath of fresh air. Uh, really such great information and inspiration, Maggie Craddock. I am uh, so thrilled that you're with us this morning. Thank you for your great work. And let's continue, you know, navigating these waters together. Thank you so much, Kate. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Maggie Craddock and Sunday Morning Magazine with Lisa Conyers. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I'll get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of discovering your lifeboat. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.